Hello, this is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick note before we start, my folk horror novel Lost in the Garden is now out and available in all good bookshops. What if the village from Hot Fuzz started to behave like Annihilation's Area X? Three women have set off through the English countryside to track down a friend who has gone missing in the mysterious village of Almondby, the village they have been warned all through their childhood never to visit. Don't talk to strangers, don't play on the farm, don't go to Almondby. And now they too are going to Almondby. Author Eric LaRocca said, eerily enchanting and profoundly inventive, this is a dreamy and unsettling masterwork, one of the freshest and most spiritually rewarding novels I've read in quite some time. And author Matt Weselowski, Lost in the Garden is like trying to recall a troubling and beautiful dream. It's like peering through a wound in the world, sorrowful, uncanny and utterly stunning. This book is magnificent, like nothing I've ever read before. Lost in the Garden by Adam S. Leslie, published by Dead Ink Books, priced at ten ninety nine. And now, back to your regularly scheduled retrotube. Welcome to a special bonus edition of RetroTube Archive Television Can't Take a Break podcast. After making a rather unsatisfying reference to it in our recent Box of Delights episode, I forced Heather to watch the animated short film accompanying Roger Glover and Ronnie Dio's Love Is All from the 1974 concept album The Butterfly Ball and the Grasshopper's Feast. <laughs> So this is just a short extra podcast because I was listening back to the Box of Delights one and I thought I didn't make a very good job of talking about that weird animated short film that would occasionally... It's a music video really, isn't it? It is really. But they treated it as a short film. If if programmes were running short occasionally in, in the 80s, particularly during the day, and they had an extra three minutes to fill, they'd plop on this extremely strange animated short film stroke music video accompanying a 1970s heavy metal pastiche of a 1960s psychedelic style pop song isn't it really that's basically that's basically the whole deal and what did you make of it it was properly properly bonkers like that obviously the animation style is different but sort of thematically it kind of had shades of yellow submarine it was very that level of psychedelic there were a lot of insects wearing other people's heads. It's one of those memories that a lot of people have, but often will struggle to place what it is. People say, oh, do you remember that weird film about those bugs and amphibians crawling about and it was some music? And yeah, so not, it, it is often one of those just weird memories that people will have. And people often fi- found it creepy and unsettling even though there's nothing actually inherent in it. No, it, it is a little unsettling. Like my, my worst bit was the uh, the mole attempting, just before he eats the live worms on his table, that was a bit like, oh, guys, I mean, I know they eat them, but don't let me see. Not in a cartoon. There's just a few things that are just a little bit too much. Yeah, 
Yeah, there are. Uh, well, should we go through it? Let's. Well, I'll do a bit of background first. So there, there is a Beatles connection with this. So this is based on a an illustrated poem, which was it was a book from 1973 by Alan Aldridge, who was the artist, and William Plomer, who was the poet. Right. Uh, he was a South African poet, William Plomer. And I think his biggest contribution to popular culture that I can come across is that he is... It partly responsible for James Bond being a thing. He was a reader and editor at the publisher who who initially picked up James Bond and he was the editor who championed it and said, oh, here's oh. a thing, chaps. So it's in a South fault. African accent. So he brought the world James Bond. Here's a thing, chaps. It's a, it's a lechy man saving the world just by being sarcastic at people. And the artist so it was quite a cross-generational thing because William Plomer was I think by this stage 70 he actually died in 1973 so this would probably be the last thing he would have done so he was born in 1903 whereas Alan Aldridge was very young and very hip uh, and the photographs of him of that time he's like the the long flowing hair he was very rock and roll artist oh. and he only died quite recently he has a very distinctive art style and, and I think a lot of people, if you saw his art, if you don't know the name, if you saw his art, you'd recognise it. He's most familiar to me for doing Beatles artwork. So there is a Yellow Submarine connection. He didn't he didn't contribute to Yellow Submarine, but there is a Beatles connection there. When I was probably 11 or 12 or 13 and just learning some chords on the my little Yamaha keyboard, my parents bought me for birthday or Christmas the complete Beatles songs with... You know, the notation and the, the scores and the chords all laid out. Pretty much everything in those days was called the Complete Beatles something. Usually spelt C-O-M-P-L-E-A-T to mirror the Beatles spelling. Ah, uh, nice, nice. Good and book. even though it wasn't the Complete Beatles because it didn't have a lot of the George Harrison songs and it didn't have a lot of the early songs in. Anyway, it was, I, I enjoyed it, I liked it, but it had these glossy colour pages at the very front of these really, really creepy Alan Aldridge illustrations. He was illustrating individual Beatles songs. It was only a handful. It was only maybe sort of half a dozen or eight or ten or something like that. And they were so strange. I found them really creepy and I didn't like them at all. I didn't like looking at them. No. Not least because some of them had naked ladies in them. Oh my God, that's the last thing you want. Well, it's not the last thing you want to see. <laughs> and I was a bit scandalised. It's like, it's a book that has got naked ladies in. Because to me, Beatles songs are quite... Most of them are quite sort of bright and multicoloured and joyous. And his illustrations of those songs were so dark. Oh, dear. And so weird. He had a definitely different experience of the Beatles. I've written down a few of the songs. I'll, I'll try and describe some of his, his illustrations, but I think this is where the sort of subtle, the subtly unsettling vibe that the cartoon has. I think that's where it comes from. I think it comes from the Alan Aldridge side of it. I don't think he animated it. Every time you say Alan Aldridge... I keep thinking you mean Alan Alder. So I'm getting a really weird <laughs> image in my mind of Hawkeye from MASH being like a, a rock animator. <laughs> oh, who's the guy from um, Last of the Summer Wine? That was somebody Aldridge, wasn't it? I don't know. He replaced Foggy. Oh, that was um, Captain Peacock, wasn't it? No, there was a guy after. The guy before him. Oh, I don't know. He was quite a famous comedy actor. He was in Clockwise playing a monk. Michael Aldridge. Uh, yes, I from memory, this is all from memory, I wrote down some of the songs that he did illustrations for. I think the most frightening was was What Goes On, which is a fairly innocuous Ringo number of Rubber Soul. I'm aware of it. It has the, the lyric, 
you're tearing me apart. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. And so his illustration of this was sort of, was a woman's torso with her face on the torso and also boobs because most of these pictures have boobs in. Oh my goodness, the trauma. And then she's kind of got this this slot in the top of her torso in which the man is and then her two arms, he's in the slot and her two arms are physically pulling his arms so that he's tearing, he's literally tearing apart down the middle and screaming and then all these hearts are coming out where he's tearing. Absolutely terrifying. What's what that all hell? about? What the hell? This is not what Ringo wanted. No, Ringo wouldn't approve. Ringo would never. <laughs> like to make that clear right uh, now, folks. Uh, there was Sexy Sadie, which was... Oh, uh, God, I don't even want to know. Well, it was a woman's face, kind of a grotesque face with makeup. It was like an illustration. Why am I sitting here with my hands over my eyes? <laughs> <laughs> and then... It took me a while to realise, oh, her no, it like, she's drawn on the torso of a woman side on and, like, sexy Sadie's nose is a, is a boob. Oh, hello. What? Um, yeah. Why, why are you trying to sneak boobs into your eyeline? You're trying to learn the piano, for God's sake. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, Helter Skelter is a, is a naked woman painted white with, a, with, like, the Helter Skelter track running around her and little toy men going down it and it ends up in her nethers, this slide. I, either coming out of or going into, I can't remember. That's awful. No wonder you're traumatised. Do you know, this explains so, this explains so much. Uh, while my guitar gently weeps is a very literal um, a illustration, except... But, but the guitar's a naked lady. Bingo! <laughs> he needs He's a like hobby, a blue, another one. Blue, he really does. I think he's been in the vibro chair. I think he probably has. <laughs> Jamie probably gave me spare kilt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only sleeping was John and Yoko in bed, just tucked up for a sleep, right. in this tiny, oh. tiny box room, but like a really tall one. And then there is a naked gold butterfly woman being chased by a crocodile what? through the room and her foot is in the crocodile's mouth and she's looking alarmed. Well, you would be. One of the few without naked ladies was There's a Place, which depicted 1968 John Lennon with the long hair and glasses. And he's having a daydream. He's resting his chin in his hands and then his body is kind of curled backwards so that his legs are walking down a set of stairs going in through the top of his head. <laughs> Uh, Cry Baby Cry is in a giant baby with this this big gold-coloured torso with an angry-looking face on it and, and the tears are turning into fish, falling into a lake of tears and then on this lake, uh, Paul McCartney's rowing a boat. <laughs> because, of course. So this is what I had to contest with whilst I was learning to play Beatles songs on my keyboard. You know, honestly, I, I feel like this explains just... This explains a lot about you, I think. <laughs> hmm, very psychedelic, also a little bit scary. Um, <laughs> so, That's me. Yeah, uh, that, that is you. You kind of equal equal part psychedelic and terrified, just in case. Um, I'm, I'm after after even hearing about those those illustrations. I'm not surprised. I think I'd be terrified just in case as well. That I mean, what I I don't want to know what he was on, uh, but. Uh, no. To quote Sandra D in that funny feeling, nobody paints like that sober. <laughs> he makes Roger Dean look like John Constable, frankly. We did kind of mention this 
but when you when you were talking about the, the butterfly ball, I was thinking, and obviously didn't mention this because I was like, oh, it's probably a silly Disney thing that he doesn't know anything about. Um, but my my first reaction was, ah, it's like the ugly bug ball. And then you said, we might need to talk about this. And then you sent me a link to the ugly bug ball. And I was like, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, Burr Lives. Come on, let's crawl to the ugly bug ball. Once a lonely caterpillar sat and cried to a sympathetic beetle by his side. I've got nobody to hug. I'm such an ugly bug. Then a spider and a dragonfly replied, If you're serious and want to win a bride, come along with us to the glorious annual ugly bug ball. Come on, let's crawl, gotta crawl, gotta crawl to the ugly bug ball, to the ball, to the ball, and a happy time we'll have there. One and all. So having seen this song, this music video with the song, a few times throughout the 80s, the animation's really creepy, but I really like the song. But th- this being pre-internet days, or pre-any kind of reference days, or knowing what the heck I'd just seen, this had transmuted into my mind as being the ugly bug ball, because there couldn't be more than one thing with that sort of title, surely. So I always had in my mind, oh, I really like the ugly bug ball. That's a really, that's a very beatly song. Uh, and I was surprised that it was Burl Ives from 1963 and like well okay okay George <laughs> okay George <laughs> and then when I tracked down the Ugly Bug Ball it was a completely different song it's like this is this is a nice song but it's not it's not as good as I remember it it's quite a straightforward American folky sort of thing it's not really that Beatly no it's not Beatly at all when I was little this this song of the Ugly Bug Ball was on a video called like a little video comp- compilation of Disney songs called Sing Along Songs and like this song was on the Jungle Book song the I Want to Be Like You Hoo Hoo that was on ah that is a good song oh the really sad song from The Rescuers when Penny's missing home and I think there's even a Little Mermaid song so it, was, so it would have been early 90s um, and obviously Old Yeller which is a film that I still have never seen because I refuse to see it but it was my it was, it was my first encounter of Tommy Kirk when I was like that's <gasps> it I didn't even realise oh he's an Old Yeller is he? he's in Old Yeller he plays Travis he is he's the one who has to oh he's got an eye patch what? Sorry. Yes, just, he's just got an eye Blake Seven yes, reference. Yes, he's got an eye patch. Yes, he wore all leather. Yeah. He, he was just itching like a gooden. <laughs> he, he's got he, an industrial box of talcum powder. <laughs> yeah, and some giant gemstone ring. No, uh, he played he played Travis, who um, obviously, if anybody has seen the film, sadly has to shoot old yeller at the end um so I that's why i've never watched it because i don't need no, to see neither. a small boy breaking his no heart crying after shooting his dog dead sorry Walt, <laughs> but you've gone a bit far <laughs> who's ever in that kind of a mood i know what i really <laughs> fancy watching <laughs> exactly it makes no logical sense and it's and it's kind of a shame because it's like it was one of his one of the films that he was most proud of being in i think i've seen all his films but that one. You've seen some right old rubbish. I have seen some crap, I swear <laughs> to God. And, like, the one thing I'm like, no, I'm not going to see this well-made, high-quality production where he has to shoot a dog! No! <laughs> Tommy, yeah. can you hear me? Don't shoot the dog. 
Don't shoot the dog. What about the dog? What about the dog? <laughs> <laughs> so I've kind of grown up with the song of the Ugly Bug Ball, which is a great song. It's a great song about, like, you know what? Even if you're not beautiful, you can still find true love. Um, you know, it's not happened. Um, but still hope. And it's still an ugly bug. Really good, like, old 60s Disney animation there. And, you know, it's a really, really happy it looks like 1920s or 1930s yeah yeah because it's like that well it's like they are going to a into like a 50s style diner these little bugs and they have this big party but they all start charlestoning it's that really spaghetti-ish sort of 1920s animation that disney had isn't it where that, that yeah where everybody slightly ghoulish nobody had like elbows or knees they just had like wobbly, no. <laughs> they, they just had wobbly limbs yeah they're all just made of shoelaces <laughs> yes <laughs> And I've no doubt at all that the butterfly ball is heavily inspired by the ugly bug ball. It must be. I mean, how many songs about bug balls are there? I mean, wait a <laughs> Hang on. I just walked into I walked up. into the <laughs> I didn't even mean it and it just happened at me. I was trying to be so good in this episode. Yes, the Disney one's a little bit ghoulish and unsettling, but in a more deliberate way. Yeah. Whereas the 70s one is unsettling in a psychedelic way. It's very psychedelic. It's very psychedelic. I mean, I think the song's absolutely gorgeous. Um, um, probably heavily influenced by Dougie Bug Ball, but also, like, quite blatantly, all you need is love. Yes. Essentially, so, the, yeah. the, most of the chorus is, love is all you need, really, isn't it? Oh, yes, at the butterfly ball. Yes, uh, sorry, copyright. Can I shock you? Go on. I like this song a lot more than I like All You Need Is Love. <sighs> That's not that shocking, to be fair, because it's a better song. All You Need Is Love, I, I like it fine. It's quite low down on my list of favourite Beatles songs, though, whereas Love Is All is way up in my list of all-time favourite songs. It is a good song, yeah. I read a comment under the YouTube video of this, somebody saying, why would you listen to this song doing a pastiche of 60s psychedelia when you could just listen to the real thing. That's nonsense. It's a really great song. It doesn't matter when it was made. It's just listen to it because it's a great song. It's catchy. It's really interesting hearing us... Because it's one of the few psychedelic songs that has a really operatic style vocal because it's Ronnie Dyer who's mostly known as being a heavy metal singer. It's Roger Glover from Deep Purple wrote it. Although having heard his demo, he actually sings a different melody because he has a different range. So where Ronnie goes really high, he actually went quite low on the melody. So I I would say it's co-written by Ronnie Dyer because him going high and his really soaring vocal parts are what makes it really catchy. Everybody's got to live together. All the people got to understand. Love your neighbor like you love your brother. Come on and join the band. All you need is love and understanding. Bring 
So it's essentially heavy metal artists doing a catchy 60s psychedelic pop song, which which I really like. I like his really soaring operatic vocal style. I like it. I like there's like a little bit in it as well, very briefly, where it the, the music like it it has been sort of you know your your standard psychedelia rock kind of, and then it just goes randomly quite classical. Mm, it has a little waltz in it, doesn't it, in the middle. For for a few seconds, yeah, yeah, mm. and I really like that. It's it's so that's just a nonsense thing for anybody to say. It's like saying, "Why would you listen to the Ruttles when you can listen to the Beatles?" Well, um, because the Ruttles a made some great music in their own right. Why, we have both. Why can't we enjoy both? Stop. <laughs> exactly. <nothing> my yum. <laughs> yeah, that's a very Beatlesy thing, though. Having the little bit because, of course, in. Mr. Kite, you get Henry the Horse dancing the waltz, and then in Yellow Submarine, yeah. you've got the little the umpar band playing. So it's quite Beatlesy to have just a little cutaway to a, to something else, some other band, and Sergeant Pepper as well. You've got the brass band excerpts. <laughs> is a little bit disappointed by comparison because it's not all psychedelic he's doing lots of different styles so if it was all like this i think i would adore it but a lot of it is not really my cup of tea but bizarrely this is a very strange thing there is another album from 1975 so the year afterwards also called the butterfly ball and the grasshopper feast by rod edwards and uh roger hand oh that's the rudest name. That's it. That's a ruder name than Roger Moore. Isn't it? Roger Hand. It is. That's filthy. <laughs> <laughs> so they also did a rock opera based on the William Plomer and Alan Aldridge book. Oh. Bizarrely. So it's the less well-known of the two. There's a version where Judy Dench and Michael Horden do the narration. Nice. And I haven't listened to the whole thing all the way through. It's quite it's quite difficult to get a hold of, but I listen, I've listened to some tracks. And actually, overall, it's more my sort of cup of tea. Whereas the track Love Is All is one of my favourite songs. Actually, the whole album of the other album is more my thing. Right, so if they put Love Is All onto the other album, it's like a guest track. That would be like an ideal album feeling. And that album has a Beatles connection as well. Do you want what? to know what that is? Oh, go on. Every album has a Beatles connection. All of them, even the ones that don't. So Rod Edwards and Roger Hand were in a band amazingly called Edwards Hand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought that would make you familiar. <laughs> this is basically Heather Bait, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're doing this on purpose, aren't you? I'm going to get in so much trouble. <laughs> 
We almost got and... divorced in the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and in 1968, when George Martin had really had enough of the Beatles' antics and flounced during the recording of the White Album, he said, You, sick of your Rocky Raccoon, and I'm sick of your Bungalow Bill. Screw you and screw you because I quit. And he flipped the table over, nice. he stormed out, he slammed the door, and he went off and produced Edward's Hand, their <laughs> debut album. <laughs> I mean, I knew you'd like that name, but I didn't think you'd like it quite that much. It was just the way you said it. <sighs> <laughs> All right, Frank Carson. <laughs> uh, yes, so, there you go. That, that is a Beatles connection. Everything does have a Beatles connection. It does. It, if you look for it, it's there. No wonder there's going to be more than one Beatles museum. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, because what Liverpool this, really needs is another really Beatles needs. museum. Yeah, we, it's like we never even mentioned them. <laughs> even the hardcore Beatles fans are going, oh, what? Another one. Yes, this is <laughs> Tories. <laughs> this museum is specifically for all the spurious links to the Beatles. We run by Pete Best. <laughs> yes, <Yeah, laughs> they're going to have like a framed copy of the Edwards Hand debut album. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. It's like those Beatles documentaries, you know, that were filmed by people who sold Paula cheese sandwich once. Yes, and they can't afford any Beatles music, so it's just ding chicka chicka ding ding chicka chicka. Yeah, like stock music in the background. Yeah, and people just be like with with the oh yeah, sold him this cheese sandwich. He was dead nice. He was like, thanks very much for the cheese sandwich. And do you know what? He paid me sixpence for it. And Alan Williams, because Alan Williams is always there. He's always there. So, what happens in the animation of Butterfly Ball and the Grasshopper's Feast? I've written down the key events in this three-minute animation, and it opens with a frog minstrel giving a flower to an overdressed mouse. And it's, so it starts off rather lovely and charming, and nothing creepy or sinister about it at all. Yes, I like the frog. Yes, and it has a has a nice waistcoat. It's a lovely waistcoat, and a, a, a lovely rec, red neckerchief, like he is... Chris Tranchell in Survivors, or David Essex, who I know you love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of what makes this animation a little ghoulish is just because it's so lush. It's just slightly over lush. Yes, it is very opulent in colour choice. That's a good word, yes. Yeah. It's the animation equivalent of having eaten too many sweets and now feeling a bit sick. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Everything's a bit woozy and you just want to lie down and no one to talk to you. Yeah, so the frog arrives at a tavern where there is a moth wizard in a wizard hat, very colourful wings, and three drunk newts. So there's a little visual pun there, which probably most, of the, hopefully most of the children wouldn't get the drunk newts gag and when the frog arrives the moth wizard turns the toby jug he brings the toby jug on the table to life and the toby jug does a little dance but the drunk newts just look bored so in order to entertain or try and entertain the drunk newts the moth wizard then zaps the frog who looks alarmed as he's sucked into the ground 
leaving just his lute behind, who then continues to sing. The, the lute comes to life and continues to su- sing the song. This is where it starts to get really alarming and trippy. Then a weed grows up out of the ground where the frog disappeared, and it grows very quickly, and then five frog heads sprout and sing the backing vocals. And, and now this plant is playing the singing lute, and it suddenly grows up really tall into the sky... And the newts still look bored by this. They don't. I think they're just too drunk to react. They're they're, prob- they're probably absolutely thrilled, but they just they can't move their faces. No, exactly. They're just that level they're, of drunk. They're practically catatonic with drunkenness. Mm. And this is when the parade comes past, uh, which is just full of creepy crawlies and lizards and such, and woodland, just generally woodland creatures. Really, it's led by a squirrel on stilts with shoes on the end, and he's wearing a uh, bird's head. The drunk newts follow. One of them has a really big hat which falls over his eyes and so he falls into the water and another one just falls flat on his face. Do you know what the um, parade reminded me of? No. And this will possibly tonally give people an idea who haven't seen it. It reminded me of, uh, in the first Toy Story movie, Sid's Mutant Toys. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. That is a really good... Yes. So there's a lizard who's got two elephant heads, one on his one on its head and one on its tail, and they're sort of bobbing up and down. There's a yellow yellow and red caterpillar who's also a train. There's a spider who's wearing Piglet's head, Piglet from Winnie the Pooh. It's a bit much. There are, there are two rabbits, and one is wearing a fox's head and the other one is wearing a fox's body. I thought it was a, a fox. I thought it was a rabbit wearing a fox's head and a fox wearing a rabbit's head, or a squirrel maybe. It's something like that, isn't it? Something like that happens, I don't... It's like two animals and they have each other's heads. Yes. When the, the parade is going past, um, there's a mole, he sat at his dining table just about to tuck into his tea, which is wriggly live worms. He's under the, he's under the parade. Um, yes, the parade, they're wriggling on his table. Yes, and he, got, he, he picks a load up and he's like just about to put them into his mouth. And then the parade goes over his... Uh, muggle and earth starts coming in on him and he is like god i'm just about to eat my wriggly worms who is this disturbing me and so he goes and has a little look but then he gets trampled on by the uh by the parade but it's all quite it's all quite distressing his hat gets completely flattened it does Uh, i like his pink psychedelic shades that he puts on though yeah they're cool then they arrive at the butterfly ball so there's a snail dancing with a butterfly and they're wearing human masks and they have a bit of a smooch. Yeah. And then they waltz off together. There's a mouse playing piano and he has a mask on the back of his head and it's it, that looks very yellow submarine, the mask. It looks like... It does. It looks like Jeremy. It looks like Jeremy. Jeremy Hillary Boob. Yes. Yes, speaking of, boob, of boobs, which, you know, we were. So. <laughs> which we were. <laughs> but for quite a while. Uh, yes, a bit. the bit that I found disturbing was then we see that it's fruit and flowers in the shape of a face and it's oh, carried, yes. by a, carried by a cricket waiter. And this enormous towering toad, like Jabba the Hutt, flicks his tongue out and eats the fruit and veg all in one go. Then it eats the leaves that the fruit and veg was resting on and then it tries to eat the cricket waiter who runs off in terror. Luckily yes. it doesn't. This big tongue projecting out. And this is the thing that, like, most of the guests at this butterfly ball will be predators to each other and predators and prey because there's insects but there's also rodents and snails and all sorts here. So it's going to be carnage. There is going to be carnage. Like, we don't, we don't actually see whether the 
toad actually gets the cricket. I think it doesn't because the tongue recoils with nothing on it the final time, so it cuts away before we see, before we see if he has another happening. go at it. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the cricket escapes. All right, I'll be able to sleep now. Because love is all you need, apparently. Yeah, love and crickets. <laughs> uh, the mouse from the beginning, the overdressed mouse, is dancing with a tiny, tiny beetle who's wearing stilts. Oh, that's quite cute. That is sweet. Yeah, it's amazing. Like because I, <clears throat> I, uh, I, I think I've seen it like four times now today. Oof, sorry about that. No, 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 it's fine because I didn't, I didn't get. It. But like, it's one of those. Um, a bit like the cover to the Hollies albums, Distant Light in Romany. One of those kinds of pictures where, like, you every time you see it, you see something new, like you see a thing, like a, a, a detail that you haven't seen before. So it's like it's quite a good job. It's it's a it's a, such a brilliant song because like you do need to kind of watch it a few times to sort of appreciate it as a whole. Yeah, it's bursting with detail. It, I mean, it's gorgeous. What if you say about uh, Alan Aldridge? He was an an incredible illustrator. He he was, and do you know what? Absolutely no, no, no naked ladies in this. Not a one. Not even a, no. Not even a pretend one. I think his vibro chair had uh, broken that week. Yeah. I mean, it's a book for children, essentially. Well, that's true. No, it's gorgeous to look at. It's very well animated, and it's it's a, th- a thing of beauty, and it suits the song really well. And I. It does. But the fact that it's really quite creepy isn't a complaint either, because I like really quite creepy things. I like the unsettling. I know. That's why you're friends with me. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to go and visit Heather because she's really unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really creepy and unsettling. So that was that, that. was that, that was, was the, the butterfly, butterfly ball. ball and the grasshopper feast. The grasshopper feast, yes. And the sh- snail shenanigans and the squirrel conference. And the ugly bug ball. I like it, but I think I th- thought it was worth talking about it at greater length. It is. It's, it was a beautiful thing. Thank you very much for sharing it with me. Well, I don't think we need to do the full outro because this is just a bonus episode. Everyone knows the outro by now. I well, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> It is true. Um, <laughs> what's, what's our okay. website? Do we have a website? Uh, apparent, apparently we're on Twitter. I don't know. Uh... <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're really going this time for 2021. This is it. I this promise. Is, this is, I swear. No this more. This is definitely the last podcast for 2021. I couldn't take any more. <laughs> no, I'm not sure I could. <laughs> I'm, yes. I'm slightly delirious on this one. Same. yes thanks everybody again we love you very much have a lovely new year everyone